And along that lines, if we can turn to 2 Corinthians <coughs> chapter 7. <clears throat> Someone who um, went through a lot of affliction and potential discouragement was the Apostle Paul. And we know that the Lord allowed him to go through many difficulties for a reason. How many people did Paul help when he was going from church to church and mission journey to mission journey and, and even to this day, the letters that he wrote by the Holy Spirit has helped and encouraged so many people, each one of us. And in the midst of it, did he face temptations of discouragement and uh, despair? Absolutely he did. I want to show you a verse. Look here in... Uh, Verse 5, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5 says, For even when we had come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. So his flesh, that's like, you know, just his, he and his body, and his physical body, he had no rest, and he was stirred up, not just on the, not just mentally or like physical rest, but it, it says here, look closely, we were afflicted on every side. So he had conflicts without so conflicts without, we know that could be with I mean, people. Obviously, he had constantly had conflicts with people who were persecuting him and misunderstanding him and judging him wrongly and all kinds of things. That can happen to us. People can misunderstand and judge and, and there can be strife, conflicts. And he said, even fears within. So look at Apostle Paul. He, the encouraging thing that I get from this is that he faced temptations. And listen to what the next verse says. And the NSB is quite strong, the word it uses here, but we have to kind of qualify and understand how this is. It says, but God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, some versions say he comforts the lowly. The way I understand it basically is the temptation. Like when all these things are happening to him, okay, he had conflicts and he had fears and he had all these things happening. The odds were against them at times. Different things were happening. <clears throat> and the temptation was to be discouraged. The temptation for him was to get despairing. and But he said that in the midst of that struggle, that he got comforted and encouraged. God actually sent someone to encourage him. Now, how do you think God's going to encourage us? Is it, it can be from the Word of God and, and Scriptures. and But, you know, a lot of times we get encouragement just from being with people. How many times have you been discouraged and you just had to be with somebody and they encouraged you? you know, I have to say today, just coming here tonight, I was just very encouraged. I can't even explain it. I just seeing brothers and sisters, and I was just so encouraged. And this verse means means a lot to me because it's true. When we have fellowship with brothers and that and this, of the same spirit, and we are encouraged to see one another, and whatever place we're at, that is why we come together and have fellowship as a body because we can get encouragement from one another. And Paul himself, the super apostle, he's the guy that would do miracles and could preach the gospel and people were repenting and signs and wonders and even Paul, the Lord had to show him that apart from the body, he could be in discouragement. He could be, he could be uh, lonely. He could be, he needs comfort. And then, get to know, the most super apostle had to have a brother come to encourage him. <clears throat> He's human, like uh, you and me. And he had this brother named Titus and he saw him and it just really made him feel good. Encouragement. So, 
We have to remember that. Sometimes we get to a place where we're discouraged. And what does our flesh want to do? The natural thing that every one of us does is we go hide in our cubbies. We go into our room and we just lay down on our beds and we try and pass the time away. And that's commonly what we do. If we don't call for help, we just kind of reclude ourselves. I don't even know if that's the right word, but I heard someone use the word reclusive. (laughs) So we kind of hide ourselves. This is what we can do. I, I know I do this. But what does the Word of God encourage us to do? It says daily in Hebrews that we need to encourage one another. All the more so that our hearts don't get deceived by sin. Because sin and, and discouragement and despair will deceive us so that we don't call on the name of the Lord or that we don't call for help or encouragement. And that's the very thing that we see even Paul, he confesses and recognizes that when he was having conflicts and when he had fears, even Paul had fears within, the Lord, he probably was praying Paul, he was a prayer, he was a man of prayer, and the Lord sent him Titus, and he was so comforted. And he said something else here that encouraged him. He said, not only that, by his com- coming, so just coming to him. So think about how powerful that is. If, if you were led by the Spirit one day to go visit somebody, see someone who can be discouraged, you can just encourage that person just by coming to them. That's important to understand the power of obedience to just being led by the Spirit. Whether you're just someone who, who feels like you yourself need comfort, it could be someone that needs more comfort than you. There could be someone more depressed than you, and you need to just go and encourage them, and that can just tremendously encourage you. I mean, I just got encouraged coming here. I'm here, and you know, I often share here, but I, the Lord just encouraged me by coming tonight, just to be with my brothers and sisters. So I'm already encouraged. I could just go home right now. I'm so encouraged. <laughs> I'm just being honest when I'm singing the songs. I can't even explain it, but I'm just telling you, that this is how the Lord can encourage you. <clears throat> so, but so one is he had fellowship with a brother, and not only this, but it says also verse seven by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. Paul heard that that even Titus had to get comfort. He Paul, Titus was saying, "I went and I saw the brothers," and you know you go to Bible study or something or church, and you say, "Man, I had such good fellowship," and you tell someone, and they're like, "Oh, really?" And they're so encouraged to hear this good report. And he said that he reported to us your longing and your mourning and your zeal for me so that I received even more comfort. He's like, man, they wish they could see you and they just miss you a lot and so want to be with you. And he was just like, oh man, I'm so filled with joy right now. Can you imagine how the devil could make you so discouraged and then someone comes and tells you how people miss you and want to be with you and you just get so filled with comfort and joy? That's what the Lord did for Paul. So that's how the Holy Spirit can work. And that's why God designed a body which is like a family, you know? That the church is our new family. We all have natural families. But even more than that, the church is our spiritual family. And that's where we get encouragement in our soul from. I mean, yeah, you, we, we have a comfort, you know, just being with family. There is a comfort there. You feel a security. And sometimes people don't have family. And so there's a less of that security. And maybe, maybe we're more vulnerable to the enemy. But you know what God says? He said, even to his own disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. Because when Jesus was going away, they had a sort of a natural attachment to being with Jesus. Those disciples, for three and a half years, they were with him every day, just probably just constantly with him. And then he tells them, I'm going away. And they were so, uh, they had sorrow. He said, why are you filled with sorrow? He said, you're going to have sorrow now, but he said, you're going to rejoice later. And so he told them, I'm going to send you someone. What was his name? The name of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus call him? The Comforter. Isn't that what he's called? 
And what does he do? He comforts us. And who did, who did the Holy Spirit send to comfort Paul? Titus. The Holy Spirit, he moves through people. And he comforts us. And he does these things. And Jesus, going away, knew that his own disciples needed comfort. Because he didn't want them to be like orphans without a, like a mom and a dad. And so some people, they come um, from a family where there's a, maybe a split up home or a messed up home or he, somebody, some pe- people, you talk to them and someone ended up dying. I talked to the man on the plane and that one time I told you guys, he said his sister died <clears throat> and he had sorrow from that. It was hard. He, he really wrestled with God because his sister was taken away. And so there's these hurts and loneliness and all these things, but the Holy Spirit will not leave us as orphans because he is the comforter and he encourages us in fellowship in what is called the family of God, this church, the spiritual body. And that is where we can get comfort through the Holy Spirit as we fellowship together. Yes, we can get that by going to God. When you're alone, the Holy Spirit can comfort you. I mean, David, he did that many times. He was discouraged. Psalm 40 is one example. When he was crying out, he had nobody. He called out, but you know what? If you have a body, you have someone. And maybe you're lacking faith. Maybe you're feeling weak. And someone else has a little encouragement for you, a little fellowship that can, can lift your spirit. And Paul, because he experienced this from the Holy Spirit, what do you think he could do now? God allowed Paul to go through afflictions to show him how valuable it is to be comforted by another brother. You see that? Paul, Paul had to go through suffering because the Lord said from the day he got born again, the very first day the Lord said, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And he got a revelation that he was going to fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. He himself said that in the body of Christ. I'm going to go through sufferings of Christ. And some of those sufferings, yes, there's the dying to yourself and the picking up your cross, but some of them include some of these things, like being uh, lonely, rejected, and conflicts, and fears within, and things. And as you're going on the Christian walk, you experience these things. And that's why Jesus himself had to be tempted in every way as you and I. So he could sympathize with their weaknesses. That's what the Bible says. And Paul, he had to learn the same things by going through difficult situations. So is the Lord going to bring you and I through situations where we're going to need comfort and encouragement? Absolutely. Because we can go to Jesus. And we can fix our eyes on Him. We don't have to look at what we see. And that's what Paul learned. And so because he learned that and he experienced it, he could go and he could encourage many brothers and sisters with the Word of God. Because he was a man of faith. That's what Paul was. Paul was a man who learned to walk by faith. And I want you to see now, so now you just read here, we're going to go through these chapters, but you read here about something that happened to Paul. But I want to go back just two chapters to show you what he said here. Now let's go to chapter chapter 5 first. So, in this, in this verse, why I say you have to be careful how you understand when it says, you know, God who comforts the discouraged or the, uh, what did I say? Or the depressed, okay, right? The depressed or the downcast, okay? So, in this one it says depressed. But does that mean that Paul was a depressive person? Living that way? Did he experience temptations of discouragement and depression? Absolutely he did. But did he live in it? That's the question that I have. So, I want to show you from the Bible what the truth is about how Paul lived. Look at chapter 5, and look at verse 6. Paul said this, Therefore, being always of good courage, what's the opposite of discouraged? <laughs> you that word courage, right? Good, being always of good courage, 
And knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, what did he say? What was the secret? Verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. And look what the next verse says. We are of good courage. I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. So, I mean, how can this be? In chapter 7, he said that at one point he was comforted because he was depressed or maybe downcast. But he said earlier in chapter 5, we're, we're always of good courage. I mean, doesn't that verse, verse 6 say, being always of good courage? We have to be honest with what the Bible says, right? Paul lived always in good courage, meaning that when he felt discouragement, he called on the Lord, either God sent someone or he lifted his spirit out of this temptation of discouragement and he found courage in the Lord. He found strength to overcome this temptation of being downcast and discouraged. And so why did he, how did he overcome? You know that it says two times that he's always a good courage and it's sandwiched, something sandwiched right in between there. It's very, very important. And it's verse 7. It's the verse that I asked Joey to find me on Wednesday night. Because I said I was going to talk to the brothers on the Teen Challenge on Monday about this, this very verse. Now maybe we're having an early Bible study. So yeah, I don't know. But it was this verse here, verse 7, that says, We walk by faith and not by sight. So let me ask you this question. Those who live in discouragement, or discouragement how are they walking? What do you think? It's because the temptation comes and we look at what we see and the devil gets us discouraged because all we see is trouble and problems. And Paul saw them the same things. He said conflicts without. He said uh, fears within. But Paul had found some secret through the scriptures. And he said, when I walk, I walk by faith, not by what my eyes see. That is how he overcame and so, knowing this, what do you think he could do now? Do you think there was brothers in the church that were um, fighting discouragement at times or different temptations? Well, look at chapter 4, verse 16. Just back up 10 verses. <clears throat> or uh, somewhere around there. Verse 16 of chapter 4. And it says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. What is discouragement? Is discouragement losing heart? I think it is. Have you ever lost heart in both situations? I totally, I have. But have you learned that when you lose heart, what to do? Because when the temptation will come again, for every single one of us, we will have a temptation to get discouraged about something. And when you get discouraged, you, what it means when you lose heart, it's kind of like you just, you give up. You just feel like you can't do it anymore and you just lose heart. And when you lose heart... Usually you end up sinning worse because when you're disgruntled, when you grumble and complain about things, you have a bad attitude and then it affects people. It can affect people in your house. It can affect people in the church. It can affect your people you talk to. You've been around someone who's always discouraged and disgruntled. They're not necessarily pleasant people to be around. But what do we need to do? We need to encourage them. What do we need to do if it's us? We need encouragement. We need to re- repent of our unbelieving heart and look at the things that God has showed, told us to look at, not the things that are seen. So what did Paul say here? He said, we don't lose heart even though our outer man is decaying. Okay, if you read the list there, Paul basically writes a list of all the things that he's going through. And one of the things he said in verse 8, 
2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, he said, We are afflicted in every way. This kind of ties together. What we done? He said, but we're not crushed. It's like, you know, pressed and all these things, but not totally broken, not completely broken, where he lost heart. That's what that means. So he said, perplexed at times. Have you been perplexed? Like, totally confused, maybe not understanding why God allows something to happen in your life? I've been perplexed. I remember a time in life, totally perplexed, and, and you get tempted to get bitter. You get tempted to, to be frustrated and not understand God's ways, or you get frustrated with people. But when you're perplexed, it's like you don't understand. What does it say? But you don't want to be despairing. You get tempted to discouragement and despair. But does that, is that an excuse because you don't understand God's ways? Is it, is it an excuse for us to become despairing? No. Paul said he, he had the same temptations. This is what I mean. It was He was comforted. He had temptations of being despairing, but he wasn't. Because he said, Lord, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why I have a thorn in my flesh. I don't understand why these guys keep troubling me. I don't understand why I feel so alone here out in the sea. You know, he said he was out in the sea alone at times, in the, in the darkness, swimming, hanging onto a plank. I'm wondering, God, where, where are you in this? I thought you told me to get on this boat. He was shipwrecked out in the sea, or was it day and a night or something, he said? Can you imagine being shipwrecked out in the sea, swimming on a plank, wondering where God is, and you, you cast out demons, and you heal the sick, and here you are, hanging onto a board, wondering if you're going get, to get killed or die? And he was beaten up by thieves. He was beaten with rods. And he said, I didn't get despairing him. Because he knew God is allowing me to go through some things right now. Because he's going to help me learn some things through this. How to overcome, how to walk by faith, and how to encourage people. How to comfort people who, when they're going through tough times. Paul said, even death works in us, but you know what it does? It produces life in other people. He said, every time that Satan comes to me, to attack me, to put, bring death in me, I'm just, it just produces life in other people. I just share about the, the victory in Jesus. Hey, <laughs> So every time Satan would come, the Lord would use it and give more glory to Jesus, encourage more people out of it. Paul, he was just a, <clears throat> a mighty vessel used by God because he could overcome. One of the biggest battles probably is the fighting despair and discouragement because when you don't understand, there is who's the enemy? The enemy is like, it's within. The enemy is, he's just working inside through discouragement and you can't, you don't know how to fight him because you don't understand. Because we look at what we see. And so... Paul said, we don't lose heart because he said, my, even though my outer man is decaying, natural things are falling apart. Maybe. He said, my inner man is being renewed day by day. <coughs> just think of a man of encouragement here. He's like, Out, outwardly it's all falling apart. Inwardly, I just feel like I'm getting more grace, re- being renewed. And he saw something here. In verse 17, he said, momentary light affliction is actually producing something in me. So when God brings affliction and difficulties in your life, it's either putting you into this pit of despair in the muck and the mire where you start sinking lower and lower and lower, or it's going to produce a song in your mouth. Song of praise. It's going to produce something that Paul found is an eternal weight of glory which is far beyond all comparison. If you were to compare the end result of these afflictions that God is allowing in your life today, because you can't see what it's producing in the spirit realm, you just believe it, right? It's producing something, but it's something you can't see with the naked eye. But you can see the afflictions, and you're thinking, why am I going through these things? But God sees it because He knows it's going to produce some divine nature. It's going to produce something wonderful. 
And so Paul said, if I were to see that with my spiritual eyes, I, we wouldn't be able to compare these little bits of afflictions for the glory to come. And that is why Jesus died on the cross. Because Jesus knew that the suffering that he would experience by being crushed and bruised by his Father's own will, to go to the cross and to go and experience all the wrath of God, he knew that it was better for him to do that, to experience the glory that would come in salvation for all of us. He believed it. And so Paul said, when I think of this, this is how I get the victory. I think of what it's producing. And he said, you look not at the things which are seen, again he said it, but the things which are not seen. How do you see things that are not seen? How is that possible? What kind of glasses do you need to wear to see those things? <clears throat> you have to see that with your, what's called, the Bible calls the spiritual eyes. The eyes of your heart. You have to see that with the eyes of your heart. And even Jesus said, you have to be born again to see those things. And so, yes, <clears throat> we, when we're born again, we get a little glimpse. And sometimes, even when we're born again, we lose the vision. We can get discouraged. And we need the Lord to awaken our eyes, kind of take off the, you know, the guy who Jesus spent, he put this eye salve on his eyes, and he just, he made him go and wash in the pool, and he opened his eyes, and he could see again. Do you know that's a picture of being, having our eyes spiritually open? That happened naturally, but it's a spiritual picture for us, that we need to get the anointing eye salve of Jesus, to open our spiritual eyes again, to see clearly. Just like that guy we talked about a few Sundays ago, when Jesus touched him and he could see men like trees walking, he kind of had some vision, but then Jesus touched him again and he could see everything clearly. We want to have this clear vision like Paul had, where he could see things that are unseen, like blind men, just open your eyes. Another example of this, we sang the song from Glory to Glory. And what does that song talk about? It talks about how the veil is removed in Christ. What does that mean, the veil is removed? Do you know the Bible says that people can't understand when they read the Bible, they, 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 they're short-sighted, they're blinded because there's this veil over their face. When Moses, and you know what the veil symbolizes, is, it symbolizes that we can't see to this new covenant glory that what it means to walk by faith in Jesus. Because when Moses went to, to speak with God, his face was shining because he was in the presence of God. He was like right there with God and, and the glory was there. When he walked away, he noticed that his, the glow on his face was fading away. And so when he, would, he knew that if he would talk to the people, they would see something that would constantly be fading and fading and fading. It would never be as good as it was. You ever think back and think, I wish the times were like the good old times. That's what's called the fading glory. Think, I wish it was like this, and I wish it was like that. When you're discouraged, that's how you think. And so when Moses would come down, in order to, so the people wouldn't see this fading glory, he put the veil over his face so they couldn't recognize whether it was fading or not. And then when he'd go to the Lord, he'd lift it off and he'd get the, this glowing presence again. And so it was constantly like that. It was like when we're living in discouragement, it's like everything's fading away. It always seems get, like it's getting worse. It's never the way it should be. But the new covenant says that the veil is removing Christ because... We're going from glory to glory. It's only what Paul said here. It's getting better. There's an eternal weight of glory that something's happening. And when we come to Jesus and we walk by faith, it's like that veil that blinds our eyes gets removed. <coughs> and we can see things in the Spirit by faith. And we get encouragement. We don't get discouraged. Paul found the secret of that. What Paul had and what Moses had were two different things. They're both holy men of God. But the difference was that Paul was in this new covenant where he had the Holy Spirit living inside him every day. Moses would go in the presence of God, and what happened when he left? 
the glow went away. You, you know what that would be like? It's like going to church on Sunday. And then all week it's just discouraging. Because maybe we don't have the time we're spending on We got some encouragement one day. I'm just using it as an example. It can be for anything. Or you have one time in the presence with God or you go to a Bible study, you find encouragement and then the devil comes the other six days of the week and you find that that glow that you had is this slow fade. Someone wrote a song about it. It's a slow fade. <clears throat> and it just goes, fades away, fades away. And then we come back in the presence and we get, get it back. But you know what? Paul found the secret that he could have fellowship with Jesus every day where the fade wouldn't go away. He didn't have to, Paul didn't have to go to church and put a veil over his head every time he spoke to the people. He didn't have to do that because he got encouraged when he could share every day how the Lord is encouraging him no matter if he had a bad day or whatever. He's, the Lord is always using it for good. He, he even said here, death works in me, life in you guys. And so that's the revelation of the New Testament when the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And part of it Part of the reason we get, get together multiple days a week is because the Bible encourages us to gather together because we do get encouragement. And if we do feel a bit of that fade, slow fade, we come together and get comfort just like Paul did. And we gather together and encourage one another and we sing songs to Jesus. And that's kind of how the Bible says you're supposed to set your mind on things above, right? Not earthly things. Isn't that what it means to be walking by faith? When we sing these songs and we look to Jesus... We set our minds on the things above. And it's like you kind of get a moment where you escape the reality of where, as we gather together here, you know, we all have to work during the day and we got problems to solve and we got this to deal with. But we come to here and we kind of escape a little bit. It's kind of like what Jesus says, my sheep, they come in, they go into the fold and they go out of the fold. And when the sheep gather together, like, ah, oh, my brothers and they're safe in their little pen here and the shepherd's there. And they, but then they got to go out into the fields and they got to feed on the grass. And he lets them out, and it's a little bit dangerous out there because there's there's wolves, right? And there's bears and lions, and so as long as they're close to the shepherd, he'll protect them, but it's a little more dangerous there. And at the end of the day, they come back into the fold, and there's a fence. Nobody can get them there. That's what this is like. It's like we're kind of getting a little freedom here from the buffeting of the enemy. We just encourage our minds. But you know what? The reality is we all have to go outside the fence because God says you're you're in the world, but not of it. He didn't take us out of the world. You know, can you imagine we just, I'm saved and just get me out of here, gone, and what kind of testimony would that be to the world that we just escape all the problems? Wouldn't it be better for us to be in the world and say that we have victory because Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit? Yes, do I face temptations like this person who doesn't know Jesus? Yes, I do. But how come you don't have this spirit? How come you found, found peace? In this world, you will have tribulation, Jesus said. But he said, in me, you will have peace. So either John 14 or 16, somewhere in there. So Paul said, we can't look at the th- things that are that are seen because they are temporary. We have to look at the things that are unseen. Now, <clears throat> I just want to give you one example of this. Turn to Numbers. <clears throat> Numbers 14. I'm going to give you an example of what this might look like here. This is what, something that happened in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. <coughs> so, I hope this helps us to understand what it means to walk by faith. This is the example here. So, God had promised that 
he was going to take those Israelites, God's people, and he was going to take them from Egypt, which is a place of bondage and discouragement. Can you imagine being uh, whipped by Egyptians and and just given ta- having taskmasters give you orders every day, treated like a slave? You got to do this. And you, how come you didn't get enough bricks today? You got to do this. <laughs> Maybe you worked for worked for a boss like that at some time. Come on, what's going on here? And you felt like heavy burdens. Well, their life was like that. Then God sent them a deliverer, Moses, and they got to escape. And God said, I'm going to take you guys to your own home. It's going to be wonderful. Peace and a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to be blessed. And they just heard this good news. They thought, this is great. But you know what? On the way there, they had to go through a terrible wilderness. And they faced snakes and uh, desert, afflictions and temptation and no water at times and no food. But there was man every day. And so... Finally, after this journey, they came to this land that God promised them, and He said, this is it. And you're like, phew, finally we're here. So they said, well, we better send the spies and find out, because usually in a good land, there's people living there, and you have to kind of fight your way to get a hold of it. So does it mean there's a fight ahead of us? Doesn't Paul say uh, we're supposed to fight the good fight of faith, right? So there's always a fight ahead of us. This is not, we just don't walk into this kind of, uh, what you call a... Uh, <clears throat> Can't think of the word, but <clears throat> anyway, so we, we you can't just walk into this place without fighting the fight of faith. So let's look here, verse twenty-five. It says, "So they returned from the spying out the land at the end of the forty days. So they sent twelve spies to go check it out, see what's going on ahead of us here." And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the congregation, verse twenty-six. They brought back a word to them to the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They even found these uh, fruits there, unbelievable fruits. And they said, there's numbers, uh, sorry, we're in Numbers 13 now, not 14. My mistake. Numbers 13 and verse 27. Thus they told him, we went into the land, resent us, and certainly it does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So do you know when they found grapes, the side, like, uh, what are these, this massive grapes, Huge grapes, clusters on this big branch. They could hardly carry that. They had to get two guys on a pole to carry this cluster of grapes. They'd never seen anything like this fruit, eh? And it's a picture of what, how good it can be. And this, these represents the fruits of the Spirit. What the natural fruits for them was represents for us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, faith, things that we've never seen before, like amazing things. That's what God wants to give you. So God gave them a little taste. You know that verse that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good? 1 Peter 2, you ever read that verse? Taste and see the Lord is good. That's what they got to do here. They got to little taste and see that He is good. So they said, yeah, it's just like God said. But is that the, is that the, um, the end of the matter? No. Because what is the verse? If you read that verse, it says we're supposed to grow up into salvation. Meaning it's like a journey. It's just, he gives you a little taste. Some people, uh, I've heard of guys that say, when I came to the Lord, I got instantly freed from smoking. Instantly. Never went back to cigarettes. It was amazing. No, no uh, detox, nothing. But then they said, that then I had to fight these other temptations. And the Lord never took those away. Well, it's just, can be just like this. You just, you, you get a little taste of how good he is. And he delivers you from something. But then you have other battles that you really have to fight against. So they got this uh, taste of what, what the Lord had for them. Because the Lord wanted to give them faith and encourage them. Hey, look, everything I said is true. And look, you can have it. You've now tasted it. I wasn't lying. Now you've got to go in by faith and possess it. So he had to give them a little taste. And the Lord is good that way. So verse 28, Nevertheless, the people who lived in the land, they, they kind of 
say, wait a minute, guys, there's another part of the story we haven't told you yet. And this is the part that we've seen with our eyes here also. There are massive fortified cities there. They're huge. And the descendants are the descendants of Enoch or whatever. They're basically, they're giants. Do you realize there's like massive giants in this land? He said, they said, Amalek is living in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. There's not just one group. There's like huge multitudes of different groups there. And the Canaanites, they're living by the sea. And one guy stood up and said, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like he knew where this was going. <laughs> you, guys, you guys are trying to discourage the people through all the bad reports here. And Caleb said, we should by all means, he said this before, we should by all means go up and take possession of this land. For surely we're gonna, we can do it, guys. We can overcome. So the men who had gone with him, they said, wait a minute. We are not able to go against these people. They're way too strong for us. Because... <laughs> They saw them with their own eyes. They saw these guys and they, they said, you know what? Later on they said, we're like grasshoppers, man, compared to, compared to these guys. We, we are like these little guys. And so what were they looking at? They looked at these men and they looked at themselves. Isn't that true? Who did they not look at? Who did they not remember? They didn't look to God. How big is God compared to a giant? <laughs> That's an easy solution, right? But what did they look at? They looked at who they looked at self. What do you think despair comes from when discouragement? We look at ourselves and we look at the giants, right? We look at the problems and we look at ourselves, look at the problems, look at ourselves, and then we just say it's not possible. But Caleb, he said, wait a minute. I'm, he looked to God and said, God said. And when God says something, he means it. And what is the definition of faith? Hebrews eleven six, what does it say? Everyone who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Part of the definition of faith. And faith is the assurance of something hoped for. Conviction of something you don't see. When God says something and you believe what He says, you believe He's going to reward you if you, you diligently seek it. And He believed that. So He was a man of faith. And He said, after these guys said, we can't beat these guys. So they gave out a bad report. Verse 32. You see that? Who's giving out bad reports? All the time. That's the devil. And you know what? When people get discouraged, when I've been discouraged, I've been guilty, I could say, I think I've said something like, man, how's, how's this ever going to change? You know, you can say it about yourself. I'm never going to be able to. You can say it about someone else. How's that person ever going to change? You know? And you give a bad report and you talk to someone about it and then now they believe it and it affects people. They gave a bad word and said, this is no way we can do it. This land devours those who inhabit it. These men are huge. They're giants. We're grasshoppers. And you know what the next thing that happened is? What do you think follows a bad report? Worldly sorrow. That's the devil's temptation. And we're talking about it because we need to recognize it. When the devil uses these schemes in our mind, he knows that it's going to bring us into worldly sorrow. And look at exactly what happened in chapter 14 now. Verse 1. Then all the congregation, they lifted up their voices and cried. Is this the cry from Psalm 40? Absolutely not. This is the opposite cry. It says, And the people wept that night. That there is called worldly sorrow. And we, can, we, we know what it feels like. We've probably experienced it. And the sons of Israel grumbled. This is how I know it's worldly sorrow. Because it says here, They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt. They just want to die. 
just wish they could, the problems would be over. And the devil was using this temptation to get them to, to get so discouraged that they actually didn't want to live anymore. <coughs> Can you recognize that? That's why the Bible says these temptations are common men. Every one of us, I've even had thoughts like that in my life. Yeah? You might be surprised, but I have. Because when you get discouraged, you can get all kinds of thoughts. The devil can put anything in your mind. <clears throat> and they said, why is the Lord bringing us into this land? Verse 3, just to die here, fall by the sword. You know what they wanted to do in verse 4? They wanted to find somebody else that would lead them a different way. They didn't like Moses anymore because he was a man of faith. And says Caleb and Joshua, in fact, they wanted to stone them. You know, they wanted to get rid of these guys. And so, <clears throat> Caleb and Joshua, what did they do? In verse 6, they tore their robes. They realized, you guys, what are you doing? They, they, they just knew this is bad, and they tore their robes in front of them. And they said, look, this land is so good. <coughs> in verse 7, this land is so good. Why are you guys losing heart? Looking at what you can see. We need to look at what the Lord said. And listen in verse 8. This is the word, this is a message of faith here. The Lord, if the Lord is pleased with us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. They didn't say, we're going to do it. They said, the Lord's going to do it. That's faith. Because you don't look at yourself. You look at God and you say, He said it, He's going to do it. And so, you know, when you, when you, when you confess Jesus, isn't it by faith that you confess that Jesus is Lord? And that raised Him from the dead? Isn't that how it starts? The Bible says, Anyone who believe, who wants to be saved, who calls on the Lord, shall be saved. He must confess with his mouth first that Jesus is the Lord, and then believe where? In the heart. So, you, when you start to confess, that's why we can pray, Lord, I'm not looking at what, am I, what I'm going to see here. I'm going I'm to just confess, Lord, you're going to help me. You're going to help me because you said you will, you will help us, you will deliver us. You confess it with your mouth. Start, that's how you start with faith. And then you start to believe in your heart. The Lord, you confess it and you believe it. And that's what they did. He will deliver us. And they believed it. And they said in verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. Now sometimes, what did Paul get discouraged by? What was some of the reason Paul said? He said, fears within. So sometimes I've learned that I can have um, fear or anxiety about a situation, that what if this happens? And what if that happens? And then that causes you to react and get discouraged. So Caleb recognized in Joshua that these people were afraid of their enemies. So when we, when we get afraid, the devil uses fear like a weapon. It's a very powerful weapon. It's not like a sword or a gun, but it's a spiritual weapon. You know, the devil's one of the most powerful weapons he uses is fear. He can use fear, he can use manipulation, control, he can put anxiety in your heart, he can do all these things to make you react and sin and become unbelieving. <clears throat> so we have to recognize that fear. That's why Jesus, do you know Jesus taught his disciples not to be afraid many times? How many times can you think of that the disciples got afraid? They thought they were perishing. Remember they were on the boat two times? They thought they were going to drown? And different things like this. And he said, don't be afraid. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so timid? Why are you discouraged? And then he said, have faith. So faith conquers fear. And faith in Jesus, in His Word. We have to have faith in what He has said. That is, true faith is believing in His Word. If we're outside of that, that's not necessarily faith. We can be presumptuous and we have to guard against that. Because that happened later on here. We won't read that today. <clears throat> but Joshua and Caleb said, Look, we can't fear these people. They're going to be our very food. He said, they're, they're going to be our bread. 
That's how he looked, they looked at the situation. And you know what these guys wanted to do? That's when they wanted to stone him. They said, this, these men of faith, they're just, they're just trying to trick us into going and getting killed. And they, they wanted to kill him. <clears throat> and then look what happened. The Lord began to speak. The Lord got stirred up here. In verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? Have you, have you ever thought that grumbling against someone and against God is like spurning God? I don't know, maybe, maybe someone has a better understanding of the word. It doesn't sound like a good thing. <clears throat> it sounds kind of like, you know, spitting in his face or just like despising him in a sense. And he basically describes it. How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. You know what? We can repent of our unbelief. Because that can be a root of our discouragement sometimes. Because if we're walking by what we see, and we're not walking by faith, then we need to say, Lord, forgive me. I've been discouraged by the enemy. The Lord knows. If you humble yourself, the Lord's going to be there right there for you. Forgive me of my unbelief. I've been discouraged and overwhelmed. <clears throat> but I want to believe in what your word says. And he said, look, these people, they've, they've not been believing me. I can, I'm going to allow them to go through discipline here. And he allowed at that time then to go through different plagues and things. But you know what? Moses interceded for them. Because he didn't want to see that happen. Moses had a heart to pray. <clears throat> and he said, Lord, please forgive these people. And pardon them. And the Lord did that. He forgave because of Moses. Can you believe that? Even in their unbelief and discouragement, the Lord still chose to forgive them. He wanted them. He wanted to show mercy. <clears throat> and for Moses' sake, he did. <clears throat> Moses wanted to show mercy, and he listened to him. And so all these things happened because they grumbled and complained. Now, I want to go back over to 2 Corinthians and finish up here. To see that the same temptation happened to the Corinthian church. <clears throat> Let's go to chapter 7. Now, so when, when uh, Joshua and Caleb, they spoke out, what did they say? You guys, don't be rebellious. Don't be afraid of these people and, and don't be unbelieving. Repent, disbelief. And look what Paul said here, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. He's speaking to these brothers and he said, Look, though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it one bit. I had to kind of exhort you guys. You guys were not walking in faith and not walking right. And so Paul had to exhort and correct them to and. Now he wanted to encourage and comfort them. But he had to allow them to feel a sorrow. But this sorrow that he was looking for was not a sorrow of worldly sorrow where they grumbled and complained. He was looking for like a, a remorse that produced a repentance. Sometimes we feel remorse. And in our remorse, we have to examine to see, is our remorse because of our situation? That I feel remorse about my situation, or am I feel remorse because I realized in my situation I'm failing the tests and I'm not believing, and I'm really letting I've let God down. I, I've not come to faith, and I've sinned, and I realize that I have actually sinned against God, and now I can repent, and that's what Paul was looking for. So he talked to these brothers, and he's like, "I caused you guys some sorrow here, but I don't regret it." He said. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow only for a while. I don't like to have to do it. It's like parents have to discipline their children. They don't, you know, they're, they're glad that they had, they, they had to do it because it's producing something, but they don't like going through it. It's not fun. 
So Paul is basically saying this. I, I've experienced the sorrow, seeing you guys go through this, but now, now that I see what happened here, in verse 9, he said, now I rejoice. You know why he rejoiced? Because not that they were just made sorrowful. That's part of the process. He said, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Now, if God is allowing you to go through different sorrows, the purpose is not to stay in our sorrows leading to uh, despair, but to have a sorrow that leads to repentance. That is God's desire for every one of us. And Paul, when he was discouraged, he didn't stay in that place. He found, he called on the name of the Lord, to the Lord to deliver him out of it. And same with these Corinthians. They went through a time... <coughs> of sorrow, but it led to repentance. And he said, For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss of anything through us. So God allowed them to experience a sorrow, which was kind of like a, a discipline of the Lord, maybe, and going through some things, so that they wouldn't suffer a greater loss. You see what Paul's saying here? He said, You were made sorrowful so that you wouldn't suffer loss in a way that would hinder you spiritually in your soul. Where the devil would take advantage of you. You went through some sorrows, but it was according to God's will. So, verse 10, the sorrow that is according to the will of God, I want you to understand what that looks like. You say, what does the sorrow according to God's will look like? How do I know when it's a sorrow according to God's will and when it's a sorrow that's my flesh? Well, Paul explains it so clearly for us. He says, the sorrow according to God's will, it produces repentance without regret. That is so key. That's how I know when I found true repentance. Because I have looked in the past and I've had regrets about things. But then when I look back, there's times when I can say, you know what? I, I wished I wouldn't have had to go through that. But I see what it produced and I say, I don't regret it. I can testify myself of that exact thing in my life. And it was the, one of the hardest things I've gone through. And I can look back and I can tell you to this day that I don't regret it because the Lord showed me Things in my life that I never would have seen. Things like pride and the self-righteousness in different areas of my life. He showed me stuff. And because I see that, I see that He did it because He loved me and I don't regret it. I'm thankful for it. And so God can take us through things to show us things that we can't see in our heart. You know, do you believe God would do that for you? To show you something in your heart where it even produced sorrow? Even it would make you feel like, wow, God, why are you allowing these things to happen? And then you find out God's just trying to teach you something. And that's the only way he could get your attention. It's the only way he could teach you is to go through something. And then later you look back and you're like, oh, Dad, man, that was a, that was a tough discipline, but I just, thank you. Because he's your father, right? Abba. Paul <coughs> said, I didn't get regrets out of it. Isn't that encouraging? That you, don't have, you can go through something so tough and say, I don't have any regrets. That shows that you love God. That shows that you have no bitterness in your heart, no unforgiveness. And you know what? It says here, leads to salvation. It's going to save your soul. And this is the sorrow of godliness. But there is a sorrow, he said, of the world, and the only thing that produces is death. And I'm sure every one of us has probably experienced some type of that or just discouragement where it doesn't, you don't get life. You just feel the death. And that's what the devil wants to do. That's what Judas experienced. That's what Saul experienced. But you know what? Paul and David and Jesus and Timothy and Titus and all these other saints 
they went through difficult times, but they overcame and they had a sorrow in their lives that produced life. And so Paul said, For behold, what earnestness this very thing. Can God give you, like, you know what an earnestness is? It's like a just a desire to just come to draw closer to God. It even produces an earnestness. Can you imagine if it gave you more of a desire for God? Paul said, look at this is actually done in your life. He said it produced this godly sorrow that was had a vindication of yourself. You, like you cleared yourself. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging and wrong. You had actually realized, man, I, I feel I found out where I went wrong here. And I'm going back to, to that person and I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to go back and say I treated that person wrong. I always thought that person was the problem. Now I realize I was part of the cause of it. I realized I contributed to it because of things that I said and things that I'd done. I didn't even know that. Now i got to go and make, make that right. And I, you feel good, you could say, I'm going to clear that up. Show Jesus that I love him. Show him that I'm listening to what he's telling me. Like Samuel, when he heard a voice and he didn't know what that voice was and finally he realized it was God speaking to him. And you realize God's showing you that's there's an area there in your heart that I'm trying to change. Maybe you were quick to, ang- quick to anger. Maybe you had a temper you didn't know that it was affecting people. And God had to show you that there's an anger problem. Or God had to show you there is a grumbling problem or unthankfulness or something. And so they avenged themselves wrong and they demonstrated themselves to be innocent in the matter. They just had went through it until their conscience was clear. That's the end result of godly sorrow. You know what? It might start in despair and discouragement. The Lord wants to comfort us and He wants to take us through these things to teach us that we need to walk by faith. If, we were, if you remember this thing from reading all the stuff we read today, is that we need to walk by faith and not by sight. And God wants to produce uh, an eternal way of glory through all of it. And you know, He wants to comfort you with the comforter, the Holy Spirit. God, God allowed the Holy Spirit to come to comfort people because He knew that we were going to go through stuff like this. That's why he said the comforter. So we don't have to be discouraged. We can call on the name of Jesus and get the same good courage, right? That Paul got. He said, we're always of good courage. <laughs> Imagine having that testimony in this church here. We could say, we've gone through stuff, but we are always of good courage here in our fellowship. We just encourage one another. When someone's down, we pick them up. When one falls down, the Bible says, the other one, that's why it's good to walk two by two. You one falls down, you pick them up. The other person picks them up. When you're by yourself, nobody's going to pick you up. And that's why we gather together and, and encourage one another in the body. And you say, hey brother, hey sister, let's walk by faith. Let's repent of our unbelief and just call on the name of the Lord. Let's have a, remember the spirit that Joshua and Caleb had. Because those two, God saw all the rest, he said, those two, they get to possess the land. I'm going to bring them in. They're going to drink that milk. They're going to have a big, big milk mustache on, the, on them here. They're going to eat the fruit of that land and just be so glad they had faith because they're going to be walking in there and just be like, praise the Lord, we believed. <laughs> Little giants are all going to be slain behind them, lying on the ground saying, God did just what he said. We need to believe that. God can do that. Amen.